Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we continue our series on the colonies during the English Commonwealth. Today we returned to Maryland, where we had last visited seven weeks ago, and in 1652 the colony was able to hold off an attempt to have its government seized by the Virginia commissioners, led by none other than William Claiborne, who has been fighting back and forth for years over the sovereignty of the colony of Maryland. William Stone, a Puritan, remains as the governor of the colony. In November 1652, a new concern arose in the colony as the council minutes show several native attacks have led to the deaths of colonists and the theft of goods. The council decided to employ one out of every seven able-bodied men to the militia, and an expedition with ships is formed under the command of Captain William Fuller. Notices were sent out to the sheriffs and leaders of the various towns in the colony. William Fuller's expedition goes out to relieve the colonists in the western remote parts of the colony. He writes back in early December that they are very disaffected, that's the colonists out there, in need of goods and unprepared for the coming winter. Later that month, the commission to Captain Vaughn, who was charged with leading Kent Island, was revoked due to the condition of the island. So a change is made at Kent Island. It appears as if the military presence does drive the natives back, but the writings become suddenly absent of any updates. We really don't know what ended up happening. In January, William Stone bans the export of corn as he expects the crop to be in short supply for the coming year. In March, Governor Stone taps Thomas Gerard to investigate the natives for possible additional attacks and to gather intelligence as to their weapons and techniques. The remainder of 1653 was rather uneventful with the exception of dealing with wild cattle, which uh, the government determined was a private matter. However, things would change on the very last day of the year. A petition from Colonel Samuels of Virginia causes Oliver Cromwell to issue a directive for settling of boundaries between the colonial government of Virginia and Lord Baltimore. This is likely due to Lord Baltimore's directive sending colonists into the disputed area in between Virginia and Maryland. So last week I had hinted about a boundary issue and I thought it was a political uh, boundary problem, but it actually turns out it probably is a physical boundary problem. Interestingly, the Virginia government relayed this along in a statement where they added that Oliver Cromwell has requested an examination of the government of Maryland. And you know, when I read this directive, I thought uh, Cromwell was deciding, you know, definitive government in Virginia. And I think it's too ambiguous to know. So when you read it, it looks like 
Cromwell is telling them to decide on government for Virginia, but the commissioners say, no, he's talking about Maryland, but you really can't tell when you read the directive. The public message goes on to add that Cromwell has selected Governor Bennett to remain as Virginia's governor. Regardless of what the letter meant, Virginia is now going to press its interests, not just on the boundary issue, but on Maryland's colonial government as well. Governor Stone writes in March 1654 that an attempt has been made on the east side of the Delaware Bay to trade with New Sweden. And why not? The colony's facing corn shortages and having some issues, so uh, New Sweden, being that close by, is a logical trade partner. In May 1654, the official notice of Oliver Cromwell's appointment as Lord Protector reaches the colony. The notice calls for the obedience of all colonists to the government of the Commonwealth. Governor Stone responds by granting a pardon of penalties and forfeitures along with misdemeanors. And I think this was an attempt to possibly appease or grow his ally base in the face of the Commonwealth coming in and maybe being a little more assertive. Rebellion and conspiracy were exempted from that pardon. In June 1654, the issue of witchcraft arose after a woman was hanged on a ship, on a ship, for suspicion of witchcraft. The colony conducted an investigation and took depositions, but nobody was charged with wrong, wrongdoing. This is interesting because... We've talked about witchcraft before, not in Maryland, but in Connecticut and in Massachusetts Bay, but we've never had a situation of witchcraft on a boat. That is, uh, that is new. Uh, the writings then abruptly stopped for a period of several weeks. During these weeks, the Virginia commissioners, mainly Richard Bennett and William Claiborne, step in and take control of the colony. Captain William Fuller, who led the expedition against the natives, is placed in command of the council and assembly. On August 8, 1654, a notice goes out. Let's have a look. Was persuaded and induced to go away from his obligation and the trust reposed in him by issuing forth writs and all other process in the name of the Lord, proprietary of this province, placing and displacing those of the council and imposing an oath upon the inhabitants contrary to and inconsistent with their engagement and oath to the Commonwealth of England, upon the penalty and forfeiture of the lands of all such as should refuse to take the same within three months after publication, thereof which were then to be entered and seized upon for his use, thereby occasioning great discontent and disturbance among the inhabitants, besides the irregularity and cruelty of the said proceeding and the opposition and rebellion therein to the Commonwealth of England. And I think at the beginning there, they're referring to the governor persuading. So this complaint this notice and complaint goes out, and this thing goes on and on and on 
about William Stone. It's one of the longest entries in the reading, and basically saying, it, it says the same thing over and over again, but tries to say it in a different way, essentially trying to stack the allegations against the old government. The transition is explained as a peaceful one, although we don't hear William Stone's side of things. The assembly met under new leadership in October. The assembly recognized Richard Bennett and William Claiborne as its commissioners and several other sympathizers as members of the assembly. The assembly's statement went on, let's have a look, and that no power either from the Lord Baltimore or any other ought or shall make any alteration in the government aforesaid as it is now settled unless it be from the supreme authority of the Commonwealth of England, exercised by His Highness, the Lord Protector. So they're basically saying Lord Baltimore is out, done and gone. The parliamentary commissioners are back in control. Uh, make no mistake about it. They're asserting themselves and their authority. Remember, we talked a few weeks ago about how they tried to do this, they failed, and they said there was some misunderstanding. Well, I'd love to know what the difference was between that misunderstanding and now, but either way, they're back in control. The assembly went on to address any opponents to their leadership. Let's have a look. That all such person or persons that deny the present government or do either in words vilify or scandalize the same, or by action secret or upon disquiet oppose or disturb the said government shall be accounted offenders against the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England, the peace and welfare of this province, and be dealt with according to their offense. I'll leave it up to the viewer whether to call this martial law or not. The actions of the commissioners could also be considered a coup since they installed a military leader. You know, I see elements of both here, but I'm not ready to wholly judge these activities with, with sort of a broad brush, but certainly uh, a similar behavior. It does appear that the assembly opens the door to right any perceived wrongs committed by their allies in Maryland. Let's have a look. It is the mind of this assembly that any free subject of the Commonwealth shall have free liberty, not only by petition to seek redress of grievances, but as also to propound things necessary for the public good. They also pass an act concerning religion. Let's have a look. None who profess an exercise known by the name of the Roman Catholic religion can be protected in this province by the laws of England, formally established and yet unrepealed, nor by the government of the Commonwealth of England. This act clearly conflicts with Maryland's Act on Religious Toleration, which we talked about. Therefore, we can, we can assume that the act on religious toleration was repealed. The assembly also passed a law that it be called at least once every three years, mirroring the triennial parliament in England, and they passed a series of taxes on individuals with women being taxed at a rate of one-fourth of that of a man. 
They also passed a law fining public drunkenness at a rate of 100 pounds tobacco per offense. And you know, public drunkenness seems to be the most common law I see passed in a 17th century legislature from reading all the stuff I've read. The assembly also passed a fine of 10 pounds tobacco for swearing, 1,000 pounds tobacco for slander, and 100 pounds tobacco for working on the Sabbath. So slander, the penalty for slander was 100 times that of swearing. There were an extensive amount of different laws passed as well, dealing with a variety of issues from relations with the natives to uh, weights and measures. Based on what we've read about Maryland already and, and what I've seen in the readings, I think that these laws were passed to basically create a new baseline of legislation and regulation in Maryland and substitute all existing laws, which would be easier than reading all the prior existing laws and picking and choosing what you wanted to do. So I think the assembly just said, here's a new baseline. This is what we're going to do. It's important to note that the assembly required each person to plant two acres of corn. We saw this in Massachusetts as well. Finally, the previous act regarding Captain Claiborne was repealed. Remember, they passed an act telling people they couldn't do business with him and he wasn't welcome in the colony. Well, now his allies are in place and he's a commissioner, so of course that's going to be. All of the commissioner's work is being done on behalf of the Commonwealth, but not with the Commonwealth's knowledge or consent. Remember, that message was not to make Maryland a extension of Virginia. It's totally different. In January 1655, two ships arrive from England. One of them is carrying a letter from Oliver Cromwell to William Stone. The letter addressed William Stone as the governor of Maryland. So imagine William Stone's feelings here. He's been told he has to leave. You need to be pushed out. That's the will of the Commonwealth. We have to take over. We're the commissioners. We've been named the commissioners. And he gets a letter from Cromwell that addresses him as the governor. Stone, upon receiving this letter, decides to assert his rights as the governor. He raises an army seizes the colony's records, and sails towards Providence. What happens next would be known as the first official battle between Englishmen in the New World. And we'll talk about that next time on Historical Context. <laughs>